0: Welcome to Growth Mindset University. My name is Jordan Paris, 21-year-old author and host of this show. And with this show, you and I will embark on a journey to learn the things that we should have learned in school but did not, so that we may take control of our lives while fulfilling our vision of success. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on because school is now in session. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is an author, TEDx speaker, U.S. Army veteran, lifelong martial artist, and high-performance mindset coach to companies, CEOs, and entrepreneurs. While preparing to deploy with the U.S. Army, Marcus suffered a severe spinal injury that left him paralyzed. After dying, on the operati- oh. After dying on the operating table twice, the surgeon saved his life but told him he'd never walk again. Having no other option, Marcus started doing some brutally honest soul-searching, looking for the lesson to be learned from his injury. Once he started seeing his adversity as a gift instead of a curse, something miraculous began to happen. Marcus now speaks, writes, Inspires and coaches others to overcome their own adversities to actualize their personal definition of success in every area of life. And here he is, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. Good morning, my friend. It's great to be here.
0: Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Were you depressed when
1: you, after, after your injury? I, I was, but I went through anger first. I was very angry at myself because I had waited so long. Um, I was 40 years old when I, when I was injured like that, so I felt like I had wasted a lot of my time. And when you're stuck in that situation, when you have no other option other than to just sit there and really be inside your mind, I started realizing I took a lot of things for granted. People say we don't know what we got till it's gone, but the reality is we know what we have. We just assume that we will always have it. So that made me understand that all the opportunities I've been given, all the talent, all the potential, a lot of it I had wasted. And that's what I was the most angry about. Now, I projected it onto everybody else. Um, and then anger that's directed inward is what depression is. So I was depressed and I was suicidal, but I literally, literally could not even act on it because of the injury. So I had to do a lot of brutally honest, you know, self-inspection
0: what are some of the things that we complain about and take for granted on a daily basis that that we really that's really quite silly in in comparison
1: <clears throat> literally everything if you want to if you want to be really honest with yourself you can say look at people in other countries that don't have clean water that don't have food that don't have freedom that you know are sold into slavery and we look at those kind of things. And then we, if we are sitting here complaining that my Wi-Fi is not working or that it's a little bit, you know, there's a change in the weather all of a sudden, Oh, I thought it was spring. It's supposed to be warmer, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> Almost everything that we, we complain about is, is superfluous. And usually we're, we're just making excuses. Mm-hmm. There's something I have, I call it the adversity scale and there's 10 is the worst thing we've ever been through in our lives. And zero is heaven on earth. So, If we look at what we're complaining about right now, chances are it's probably a two or a three in the grand scheme of things of of what we've actually gone through. So if we do that and we write it down, it makes it really objective because it's black and white. And the thing is, emotions assassinate the truth. My feelings assassinate the truth. So it's easy for me to to bias myself and to say, oh, well, this is happening to me, so now – yeah, I'm, I'm the exception to the rule. But if we can look at it objectively black and white, take ourselves away from it and say, you know what? If I'm complaining about traffic right now, that's probably a three on a scale of, of one to 10 on my adversity scale. And if we do that, it, it kind of gives us a, a mental check and we're like, you know what? Yeah, it's not so bad.
0: Emotions assassinate the truth. That's very true. I mean, in traffic could be very frustrated, very, very uh even even angry and just seems like everything is going wrong maybe you got someone texting you asking you for uh asking you to do something and and it can be a little bit overwhelming and then our emotions conjure up conjure up these you know it 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 blinds us from the truth as you as you mentioned but when you really get back to it and i think about this all the time when things start to go wrong like the buddhist meditation of, you know, what am I experiencing right now? And when you get back to that, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm just in traffic. Mm-hmm. That, that's <laughs> just a little bit is. of traffic and I'll be home. I'll be home literally 15 minutes later. That's mm-hmm. it. It's not that bad. So I, I agree with you there. There's what was life like leading up to your injury?
1: I, uh, as, as you mentioned in the bio, I, I've been doing martial arts since I was 11 and that was really sort of the, the cornerstone to a lot of my beliefs, the idea of humility, loyalty, conviction of ultimate victory, work ethic, um, respect. And that really kind of helped me set the, the pace for what I'm doing now. And that's kind of what modern stoicism is as well. Like you said, Zen, Taoism, Buddhism, stoicism in my mind, these are all truths. It was just the semantics of where they were created and the time frame in which they were done. So the Stoics saw truth, and it was done over in this part of the country at this time frame. Um, Zen, Buddhism, Taoism, all were different parts of the country in similar time frames, but yet it was the it's this idea that this too shall pass. um you know, where's the opportunity within this this hardship? So that's what I kind of grew up with doing martial arts being athletic. but I did what a lot of people are doing now, where I went to to college because that's what I was told to do. And I would take, you know, I would go into one specific arena and it wouldn't be that fulfilling and it wouldn't be that difficult. So I would switch to something else and I would continually switch realizing that by the time I got to chiropractic school, because I was almost a a year, I was a year and a half away before I would finished my doctorate in chiropractic before I joined the military. And even within that, I knew that I would be able to serve my community with my hands and do a lot of good. And that was the intention. But the idea has always to been a teacher, has always been to be a teacher, to be a person who helps others. And leading by example is a great way to do that. But the, uh, the idea was to get out, help people with my hands and make as much impact with the time that I had left.
0: Mm, absolutely. That's interesting. So when you, you you died on the operating table two times. Uh, so so how bad? What was this? What was the exact injury? And and how
1: did it lead to literally dying? And is it, how is that possible? So what happened was um, C five and C six. That disc in your neck. That's the same vertebral level where Christopher Reeve was paralyzed. The disc in my neck had ruptured. And when it ruptures, it's not like a bulge. It actually ruptures. It explodes and it pushes into your spinal cord. So your spinal cord is your master system. So everything from that level down is compressed. So it's almost like putting your foot on a, a a water hose. Mm -hmm. So when you push your foot down there, all the water's trying to go. But if it's compressed, it cannot go. So there was no communication from my brain to the rest of my body. And that's where the numbness and the paralysis came from. But the problem is also that all those things that are attached to it. So like being able to breathe was becoming difficult. You know, my body wasn't really functioning. And that's when they said, listen, we need to get you in there because you're not going to make it if we don't. And then as they were trying to remove all the debris and all the disc from my spinal column, you get close to all those really, really important things up by your brain, the base of your skull. And when you start hitting those areas, that's when you're going to start having issues. And that's when they lost me. They brought me back. They lost me again. They brought me back. And that's what, that's what was interesting when I was laying in the, in the ICU recovering the, the surgeon came in and he sort of sheep sheepishly said, well, we lost you a couple of times. And I didn't understand what he meant. I was like, what do you mean lost me? I'm right here on the table. But he was like, no, you were, you were gone, but like flatline. Yeah. And he said, that's what he said. He's like, you know, the good news is you're, you're able to live to tell the tale. The, the bad news is this is what you're left with. So try to wrap your mind around it. Now he, he, they really told me not to think about trying to recover physically because they said that that would just set me up for disappointment. And so, um, of course I did what everybody does. I was in denial and, uh, I thought, well, if I can overcome death, I can overcome paralysis, but, um, it turned out to be much more daunting than I had anticipated.
0: Well, I want to, I actually want to get to that, but you know, something I've been thinking about, cause. I'd not really experienced too much adversity in terms of, you know, death in the family. I really haven't. I haven't had anyone that has died anywhere except until two months ago, you know, 89 year old grandfather died and it was, you know, it was in his sleep just the way you'd want to. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think about going from somewhere along the way, in, you know, you go to bed and then somewhere along the way, you're going from a dream state to death and you're going back and forth. And I, I've never done a drug, but I imagine it would be almost like a psychedelic experience yeah. uh, from what I hear. So, I mean, I, you have no recollection or anything uh, or like any conscious memory?
1: The, the, what I did remember was that for me, it was very profound because it was just complete darkness and it was incredibly cold. Uh, and so, um, and I've had, you know, many discussions with people that are, whether it be religiously based or philosophically based and some of them, and again, both sides of the, of the aisle from a, a religious idea. Some people are like, well, you know, that indicates that you should be changing your life because, you know, this is kind of what you would be. And then I've had other people that were like, you know, that indicates that you don't need to change anything because that's kind of the way it is. Uh, my friend, Josh Mance, uh, he actually was shot in Afghanistan. He was a captain in the army and he was shot in the stomach and he literally bled out and was dead for 15 minutes straight. He flatlined and he had recollection and he came back really and his was very similar to mine his was a, a black a dark feeling and it was cold and then it became very very warm um mine was black cold but I never got to the warmth portion but his description was it was the most peaceful experience he'd ever had and it gave him a lot of um you know it gave him a lot of resolution in, in that ideal for me what it did is it gave me a tremendous amount of urgency because now I understand that and I'm not you know, trying to back on IB's religion, but whatever we believe, that's all conjecture because until we, uh, unless we've died, it's really hard for us to know. And each person has in different individual ideals. Janine Shepard, for example, when she passed in her TEDx talk, you know, she was able to see herself from above. She could see her body and it was like this literal, like life and death, like fight to, to get back into her body. And then you were mentioning, you know, neurochemicals and, and the neurology that happens whenever we pass. There's a lot of things that happen, but all I know is that from my experience, that that's what happened. And when I I got a second chance at life, it gave me tremendous urgency. And that's what I think was the big drive for me to be able to recover when it was all said and done.
0: So fascinating. I've never quite heard it articulated like this before. What was so the sense of urgency on a day to day? day-to-day basis what was that what was the difference you know the before and after
1: well the like i said the the week after i got injured and i was starting to recover when they realized i was going to be stable they said if you are going to recover it's going to happen in the next day or two because once they remove that pressure off of my spine kind of like taking your foot off of the hose if there's not permanent neurological damage you should be okay and Obviously I did have damage because that's when they were saying, you know, you're still here for a week and you haven't moved. This is what you're stuck with. And so that's when I really had to start looking and say, man, and the urgency that I had again was that urgency of understanding that I was angry, that I had wasted a lot of time. And then after about three months of just being livid with myself and anybody that would come around me, for me, the tremendous urgency was getting past that point of being very, angry and after three months of being very angry because I realized that I couldn't I, I had tried to push back against this for so long. And just like in in you know the Chinese arts and the martial arts, if I have an opponent who is bigger than I am and we're on the same plane and we're both pushing, the person who is stronger is usually going to win. But if I can learn to blend with that energy, if I can learn to pull when they push, or if I can learn to just angle my body a little bit, that gives me an opportunity to redirect or to blend with the energy. And now for a moment, I can take it where I want to. So for me, what I did was I, after being angry for three months, I realized that the anger wasn't helping me. It was hurting me. And that there had to be something that I was supposed to learn from this. And I don't know what it was, but I decided, you know what, I'm gonna turn into this. I'm gonna lean in with this. I'm gonna see where I'm supposed to go. Because clearly being angry and fighting it wasn't helping. And so what I realized was I had to take myself out of the equation, much like in Zen, where it's not about me, it's about look at the situation. And I asked myself, okay, did anybody, anybody gain anything from me being injured? And that was a hard ask. And then I realized, wait a minute, if I'd have been deployed when this happened, if I'd have been in Afghanistan with my team, for every one man who's injured, it takes two men to pull him to safety. So if I would have been injured there, which I believe the injury was inevitable, then that means that I would have put my team in danger. I would have put my squad in danger. I would have put the medical team that had to fly in and the helicopter in danger. And when I did that, I was able to itemize that there were over a dozen other people whose lives would have been put directly in harm's way if I'd have been injured while I was deployed. And when I was able to do that for the first time in three months, I literally, because I literally said it and I, I looked around like, I didn't know who said it, but I literally said, wow, I'm lucky.
0: That is, that is amazing. Yeah. So eventually though, you I mean, cause you're moving right now. So you start, you start moving. Wait, exactly. What's the breakthrough?
1: That's it. The breakthrough was just having radical gratitude because once I started seeing the good and the bad as a gift, a week after I started seeing my adversity truly as a gift instead of a curse, that's when I started getting feeling back on my fingers and toes. And wow. the, rea- the reality is all of us, like, like, like what you were talking about before, about what we're grateful for. It's easy to cherry pick the stuff that we like and be grateful for the warm weather and our relationships and our family being healthy and, and our, our business. But the reality is in life, there's about 75% of the stuff that we go through that may not be what we think is like perfect. So if I can only be grateful for a quarter of the things in my life, that I'm leaving out three quarter of my life, basically, that I could be grateful for. So again, if I'm mad about the person who cuts me off in traffic, that doesn't help me. But if I can learn to be just as grateful for, for winning the lottery as I can, for that person who cuts me off and gives me the bird, when I have 360 radical gratitude, now, no matter what happens, I'm bulletproof because now the good things encourage me while the not so good things are opportunities for me to say, what is the opportunity for me to learn in this? What should I be gaining from this? What can I let go of right now to give me peace? And by well, having that radical gratitude, that's what, that's what changed everything for
0: me. Right. Well, you, it seems like you experienced the radical gratitude after the fact. Do you think it's possible to experience that and weather the storm a little bit better, better while you're in the abyss of adversity, right at the, the bot, the trough, if so to say?
1: Yeah. That, that's the idea is that, that's what I'm trying to get through to everybody. The, the idea is if you can have this mindset affects, uh, affixed, before you get to the heat of battle, you're much more capable of it. The thing was, the, the reality was I knew all this stuff when I was going through it. Like I had all these ideas, all these, these verses from Zen, Taoism, Buddhism, Stoicism coming to mind. But frankly, when you're in the middle of something really difficult like that, it sounds like a bunch of flowery junk. It doesn't sound like it's true. It sounds like, yeah, yeah, it's easy for you to say that, but I'm the one that's in this right now. I'm the one suffering this right now. I'm the one that's going through this. And it's easier for you to say that it's. you should be philosophical and grateful because it's really hard to see it when you're there. So even when I know it, it's hard sometimes to accept it. So hopefully whoever's listening to our voices right now, if they're going through whatever their adversity that it is currently, I assure you that if you can step away from it and take a breath and see where's the opportunity in this, you can learn from it, and sometimes the opportunity is to understand that maybe you're putting yourself in the same situation over and over again, and maybe you're allowing this to happen. And if mm-hmm. that's the case, then stop that behavior right now. Stop allowing yourself to be victimized.
0: Mm. So something you speak about as well is empathy and leadership. What is what do you mean by that? How does that? How do you? How do you? Th- how, what do you see in leaders today, and what are they? Mi- are they missing something? And and what are who are some of the good leaders that exemplify this?
1: I think that some of the, the great leaders that are doing this are people like Gary Vaynerchuk, um, Gary Vaynerchuk's chief heart officer, Claude Silver, um, Tom Billieu, some of these people that are just building these incredible brands because I, I think that at my lead, I think Andy Frisella at First Form as well, because they understand that you can be empathetic towards an employee without allowing them to walk all over you. So empathy means I literally am able to feel what you're feeling and I'm able to understand what that is. But from a leadership standpoint, it's important because if I'm the leader, I'm the front of the pack. I see what's coming before the rest of the team does. So if if you and three other people are on the team and I understand how you react under pressure, Jordan, now I can anticipate that whenever we're getting ready to go into the heat of battle, right? And now I understand how you're going to react to to pressure. Now I react. I understand how the other people are going to react to you reacting under pressure and how that's going to influence them. So I am, I'm empathetic to what you're feeling, what you're going to feel. And now I can anticipate that. So now I can have additional steps three, four, and five to contingent as contingencies. So that now, whenever we're in the middle of it, if you are able to be really good under pressure, but maybe the other two people are not. And I see that maybe they're going to crumble or maybe they freeze up. Now I can already have other ideas in mind to be able to put in play. So it doesn't mean when, when people hear that, it doesn't necessarily mean that I just let that employee walk all over me. Of course, I'm going to be sensitive to their needs. I'm going to understand what the, what's going on in their lives. If they have a death in the family, if they have hardship, if they have a financial problem, absolutely. We're going to address that. But I'm also going to use that as an opportunity to bring out the best in the team and the best in that person. And when we have a common vision and a common goal and a common direction, it makes it a lot easier for us to all go there When I'm when I'm constantly telling people where I want to go or what I need to do, they already have the game plan. So now, even if I slow down or even if I have to do something else, they can continue to pick up the ball and run with that sort of momentum. Mm,
0: Love it. So you now you have a new uh, podcast. It's number one in iTunes, new and noteworthy. And why do you tell us a little bit about that? Why do you think people are loving it so much? What's it about?
1: I, I got really lucky and thank you for mentioning that the The thing is I've been interviewed uh, quite a few times, myself over a hundred times on TV and radio and, and, and podcast. And I always, people would always say, you know, what do you want to do? What's your legacy or what have you? And I would always say, I want to help more people with the amount of time that I have here. So having a best selling book, that's great. Being a speaker is great. Having a TEDx talk is great, but I understand now that with this medium, because I had a podcaster that kind of took me to the side. He said, listen, If you are genuinely wanting to help as many people as you can, he says, I don't know how many people have hit like 35,000 people have watched my TEDx talk. He says, but I can click this button and I can affect more people in a one hour conversation than you can by speaking to people individually. So even if I speak to 500 people at a time, I would have to do seven separate you know engagements to get that kind of impact. And then kind of like with your show, people are naturally attracted to what you're doing. So you already have like-minded people that want to hear the message. So now this is a more specific demographic. So now these people are much more receptive to what you're saying. They're much more receptive to understand how is adversity a gift. You know, for most people they kind of look at you sideways. About half of the people just don't understand the concept. But the people that do listen are self-selecting themselves, and that's why it's so important. So what I've done is I found other people that are very successful in the entrepreneurial business, professional athletes, you know, high performers, CEOs, leaders. And I find out what their hardship is, because in my life, I have never met anybody who has reached a very high level that has not reached, that has not been through tremendous adversity in one way, shape or form. So that's the common thread. And it seems to resonate with people because people are really enjoying it and, and pushing me up there. So And I'm grateful for all that support.
0: Absolutely. Would you say then that pre, that adversity is the prerequisite to success?
1: It absolutely is. It's the catalyst. It is the indicator. It is the litmus test. It is the thing that helps us understand that if you look at nature, nature's way to strengthen anything is struggle. How so? Because mean,
0: in in nature, like in
1: yeah, in if you look if you look at even like a butterfly trying to get out of the cocoon, right? Yeah. If I I'll, if I take a knife and I open it up for that for that creature, I'm not helping it. I'm actually weakening Mm -hmm. it and I'm making it's chances to be able to survive out in the environment lower, even if I think that I'm helping it out. Just like with the child in, in nature, if a child is learning to walk, we want to support that child, but every time they fall down, we need to let them get back up because if we go over and pick them up every time, we literally encourage the behavior of being a victim and not having the wherewithal to pick themselves up. And unless they're hurt, the instinct will always be, get back up keep moving forward yeah
0: that's absolutely right there's even i i mean i see the signs for animals all the time like do not feed them because then they'll then they'll you're sort of some of them or at least some types of animals you're they, they will then become accustomed to getting it from humans and not doing it themselves and the truth of the matter is humans aren't going to do it for them all the time so and, you, and they're not always going to be and they're not always going to be around humans so like i you know like alligators like the alligators that around here in fort myers i have seen like don't like do not feed them many many times um so yes you are actually weakening them by feeding them in the long run even though in the short run it might be might be a nice little reward for them but long run doesn't work so marcus uh, before we begin to wrap up here, where would you where where can people learn more about you, find you, and listen to your
1: show? Actually, absolutely, they can uh, go to markusrileasanderson My show is called um, Conscious Millionaire Epic Achiever. It's under the Conscious Millionaire Network from JV Crumb the Third. And uh, if you just put in "Epic Achiever," you can find it on iTunes. Um, I've got a bunch of bunch of episodes in there. And what I do is I I have an interview with somebody that's powerful, and then I have a coaching lesson. So that way I can give people value from that person and then value from from my coaching experiences. And I try to just provide as much quality as I can in that amount of time.
0: Fantastic. Well, before I ask my final question, I do have to acknowledge you because you're sharing a message in which not through which not ma- through an experience which not many people very 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 few people only a select few have experienced and i think it's a fantastic service that you do get up and put yourself out there and and then through your lessons of radical gratitude i absolutely love it i know you you remind me much of my uncle brian he he's he went to chiropractic school as, as well and he and he's all He's all into, you know, he's a big, uh, meditator and he absolutely, he, he's, he's a very peaceful guy and always, he's always talking about gratitude, gratitude, gratitude every day. It's like his thing. It's his message. So, so I absolutely love what you're doing, Marcus, and I think it's a fantastic service for the world. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much. I'm, I appreciate that. I, I try to bring radical gratitude and, and pragmatic wisdom and, and blend them together so that people can take action and, and find you know, positive impact quickly with, with what they're doing.
0: So my final question is, if you could teach a course at a university, course of your creation or otherwise, what would it be? We've shared many lessons today. If you could package it into a course, what would you call it?
1: I would call it the, the gift of adversity. But what I would tell anybody, especially in a course level, is um, learn to accept knowledge irrespective of the, the source. What happens so often is like with me, the source of my knowledge and my wisdom was hardship and I judged it. I was angry at it. I was mad at it. Or let's say that you see a quote on Instagram and it's, it's beautiful and it really hits you. You're like, yeah, it's written for me. And then you look at the bottom and it's written by somebody that you don't like or that you don't agree with, or their political affiliation is not yours, or you don't like something that they've said before. The reality is Knowledge is out there, and we're able to to absorb as much of it as we would desire. The only thing that stops us from absorbing it is us and our own biases. So, if you find something that is functional and useful, don't judge the source. Just try to see if it resonates with you. Bruce Lee's, you know, his incredible philosophy was this ideal of absorbing what is useful, discarding what is useless, and adding what is specifically your own. And I think that if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a business owner, if you are a high performer in any capacity, that should be your mantra because. The reality is, if there's knowledge that I do not acquire and I don't put into action, it's the equivalent of ignorance. And the only person who suffers for that is me. But the other thing is, now the people that I could be helping with that knowledge will suffer as well.
0: Remove the bias. That's a gem. Marcus Aurelius anderson thank you so much. You're the man.
1: Thank you so much for having me, my friend. Absolutely.
0: There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of the Growth Mindset University podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, I would really appreciate it if you could leave us a quick five-star rating in iTunes. All you have to do is grab your iPhone or iPad, open up the Apple Podcast app, hit the search tab, search the show, Growth Mindset University, or just search my name, Jordan Paris. Tap the show, scroll all the way to the bottom and then just hit that fifth star and that helps us tremendously in ways that you could never even imagine. It means the absolute world to me when people do this. I would be eternally grateful if you do that. We're pushing 100 ratings right now and it's really making a difference for this show. And of course, if you've not already subscribed to the show, just make sure you do that wherever you're listening to so that you don't miss that next episode. I know you're not going to want to miss it And you only heard this episode today because I thought it was valuable enough to post here. So if you want to share that value with your friends, your family, go ahead and do that. Share this episode with them. Take a screenshot. Send it to them. Take a screenshot. Put it on your Instagram story and tag me at J underscore Paris underscore. So that I know you're listening and I can get back to you and put a face to the name. Now, if you're ready to really take your life to the next level... My book is on Amazon. It is also called Growth Mindset University. It's all about how to learn anything, how to take control of your life, and how to fulfill your vision of success. And you're not just supporting me and this channel by getting this book, but you're also getting this awesome book that's going to lay out the rules and principles to design your life full of joy and fulfillment. All right, I love you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count, live to learn, and grow
1: to give.